And now, the Rolling Moors entry for the Poet Laureate. At Welford Road, the East Midlands fight, under the lights the icy night, blooded tigers snarled, their claws on show, saints scattered, shattered by Nadolo. Puma and Bach unite to lay siege, and on the floor, Welsh thievery seen, but above all the din, all hail Freddie Burns, in the words of Rafiki, the king has returned. Yes, get yes. on that. Thank you. I call that poem, Get the Fuck In. Uh, Mate. Which I think it sort of like balances quite nicely with the tone of it. What do you think? Mate, I, I'm all for it. When you said you had a poem prepared, I was trying to work out where you were going to go with it, but um, it reveals a new uh, a new depth to you I didn't realise you had. Uh, it's, it's also very layered, lots of meanings and alliteration in there. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of things that, that, that we can do on this podcast. It's not just rugby, it's also artistic licence, poetic genius, guilty. Yeah, I mean, fuelled by uh, supermarket ales. I mean, yeah, only two of them, future. tragically. It was only two six percent local stouts that got me uh that that excited uh after the saints game and that enthusiastic to go and start writing poetry but welcome to the rolling ball podcast leicester tigers fans podcast which is yes unbearably smug after a dominant win over a dangerous northampton side in the east midlands derby yes today we will be bathing in the suspiciously warm waters of victory following the win at welford road on friday night looking ahead to the away fixture against rivals bath and announcing the hooker spot for Elliot's imports. I'm Mike, and as always, I'm joined by Casanova himself, Elliot. Mate, the pod was delayed for your Valentine's shenanigans. Uh, don't go into too much detail, but uh, was it worthwhile? It was all good, mate. It was a fun weekend, so uh, can't complain. So, um, yeah, it was good. It was a good weekend. Valentine's Day was nice and chilled out. So, yeah, it was all good. You've, you've got to give the people a bit more than that, mate. What, what do you get up to? You had a sort of a bit of a road trip, didn't you? Well, yes. Yeah, so, so we were away in Wales anyway for my uh, best mate's 30th. And then we worked out um, that we were an hour away from where uh, my wife used to go on, on holiday when she was a child. So we thought we'd uh, have a look around, remember the old place, and um, do a bit of a sort of a mooch around a local town and grab some coffees and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it was good fun. A bit of a road trip back, did a bit of bowling, grabbed some food, uh, came back, watched some TV and just sort of chilled out. So, um, no, it was a pretty uh, pretty good day. We had the wedding playlist in the uh, in the car for the drive back. Oh, so, that uh, gets some hard mileage for many years to come, mate. Yeah, we even have a, a honeymoon playlist if we want to mix it up a bit. But the wedding and honeymoon playlist, if you have to drive anywhere, is always a safe bet. Um, but so it's you six went, you... hours of six hours of music on the wedding playlist, mate. That's got many. That's got so much mileage in it. I don't know. I think we'll still be using it about thirty years time. Listening to Escort we'll Seven to... for six hours, mate. I don't know how you managed it. There's no Escort Seven on that playlist. <laughs> uh, I like the fact that you went bowling though. Did it get overly competitive? No, because when there's that mar- that margin of victory, there's no such thing <laughs> competitive. <laughs> I like the fact. Did you tell me before you got to strike the first ball? Yes, and then my wife refused to talk to me for the next two rounds. <laughs> I love that. Oh, let's go bowling. Yeah, no, no, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Strike! Woo! Turning round, maybe a few of the, the pistol shots, you know, going off. No, like, I'm not Shoot, shoot I'm him again. Gavin. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a total dickhead, but... Uh, oh, that's just, like... that would just be me then. <laughs> I'm like Jono. Don't have to say anything. Just do it. Just go on actions. Yeah, yeah. Actions speak louder just do than it, words. Just, just do it, mate. Just do it, mate. You see, my, my wife got me for our anniversary. <laughs> you try and do the traditional gift. And I think it was it our, our fifth year just gone. And it was wood when, you know, all sorts of jokes to be made there. But her one 
my one to her was sort of a bit of a sappy romantic one. Not sappy, actually, it's a bit of a pun because I've, I've got some trees like in a forest and you have like special trees named, uh, sort of named after you. And I tried to make it all romantic and stuff. And, uh, and she caught us axe throwing. Um, <laughs> what a great game. Which we're yet to do, which hopefully we might might try and do in a few uh, few weeks' time. But that's going to be pretty uh, interesting. And I wouldn't want to kind of piss her off during that with any sort of competitive shenanigans or gloating, just, you know, due to the fact she's got an axe. Uh, so we'll stay well clear of that. But my Valentine's Day was uh, a pizza and reruns of Would I Lie to You, which actually I'm pretty happy with. And to be honest, that sounds like most of our Saturdays. So nothing really particularly exciting, but there we go. As always, thank you to everyone who has got in touch over the last week or so. We'll try to raise points as we go along. If you do enjoy listening, please do take a few seconds out of your day to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us grow the pod and hopefully deliver better content. And thank you for everyone who's already done that. It's uh, really, really grateful. Uh, if you do want to get in touch, same old details. Twitter handle is at Rolling Mall Pod. Our email is therollingmall at outlook.com. All right, then. On with the pod. Let's get into the news. Only one place to start. Chris Ashton. Uh, again, we're too early for our own good, like plenty of men on Valentine's Day. We were premature and released our pod before Ashton was announced. How's that for a euphemism? Bit grim, Mate, it, yeah, it, it's on the right. It's on the right side. It's on the oh, right side. Okay, good. <laughs> Premature podcasting affects thirty percent of podcasters. <laughs> no, we're not sponsored by anything, any medication resulting to premature or anything. We we'll just need to get that out of the way. Uh, but Elliot, there are some people not happy about the Chris Ashton signing. Some people are pretty excited, and the majority, I think, are on the fence and probably waiting to see what he does. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, I've there's a week between. The rumour starting and the news getting announced. And probably for that week, I spent most of it on the fence. And I do have sympathy with people who aren't happy with the signing because there is, you know, the guy comes with baggage. The guy has a bit of history. And the last three or four years, at least, um, seemingly has left a trail of destruction everywhere he's gone. And it hasn't worked out. And it, it, it has all the hallmarks that potentially been an absolute gamble top of the league we're top of the league settled squad unbelievable team spirit everyone's chipping in and in theory you've got this potential rogue coming in um to disrupt it all and you can understand why people um weren't happy with it however when the news did get announced i probably lent when i thought about it i probably lean and and lent towards it being a good signing because there's probably only a few people in the like world rugby in terms of coaches who I would back to um, sort of handle a character like Chris Ashton. Quite clearly, he is a complex character. Quite clearly, you know, he needs sort of special management as such. Borthwick, Sinfield, Wigglesworth, Brett Deacon, to be fair, are probably the only people I would back to be able to know how to um, get the best out of him, look after him and to make sure he, you know, keeps on the right side of the tracks and if he gets like one sneeze out of line, he's going to be out the door. You know, we've, I spoke, I've written about it last week that we've got a money ball approach. You know, we've got, statistically, he probably was the best winger available for the money that we're looking for. So it ticks all the right boxes. And I think if you look at Ashton, where he's been, and I, I made reference to it in the, the blog I wrote, where he's left under a bit of a cloud 
it's not as if he was leaving a fa- like he always left a failing environment. Do you know what I mean? He was like, you know, Quinn's and the Gustard, you know, that wasn't exactly a happy place. There's a few stories yeah. that come out, have been and come out the back of that. Sale, Steve Diamond has fallen out with more people than, you know, than most. And at Worcester, you know, the rumours are he told um, people to pull their socks up and he wasn't happy that Worcester had a losing culture and he wasn't, and he was, fell out with people because he wanted to, to win. You know, is that really such a crime? You know, I don't think so. It, it, so on balance, I thought about it, reflected on it, and I leant towards it being a good move. And, you know, if the guy does the business for a short-term contract and probably in not much money, I think it's a I think it's a good move. You know, it comes down basically it comes down to do you trust Borthwick? Borthwick has earned that trust for me. So therefore, you know, <laughs> I'm not there. We only see about two percent of what actually goes on. So you've got to trust Borthwick on this one, I think. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the stuff about Ashton is slightly overrated. Yeah, he can be a bit of a tit here and there, but he's not Danny Cipriani. He's not a bloke who he's not a playboy who's going off no. doing stupid shenanigans or anything like that. He is a guy who, as you say, is unfailingly honest. He's extraordinarily professional in many ways. You look at him, the shape he's in for a guy who's what thirty-four, isn't he? I think he yeah. is in extraordinary shape. He doesn't look like he's lost a lot of pace. He's powerful. He's an unbelievable finisher. We'll get on to how he played uh, when he came on. Uh, but obviously, he made a fantastic cover tackle. And I did a bit of digging about this because I you know, I thought about Ashton and where he's left. And like you say, he's gone to some clubs and he's torn it up in a brilliant way. And he's left under, you know, on a, with a golden handshake and, and thanks for all your work, Chris. Other clubs, he's left having issues. He's a big character, but he's extraordinarily forthright and ultra ultra competitive he cannot stand losing which is an absolute asset as long as it's channeled in the right way and what I understand is that like you say at Worcester he was pretty forthright in telling people that they weren't applying themselves properly I think Jonathan Thomas is an excellent man manager and I think he was perhaps more of an arms around people approach rather than Chris Ashton being quite upfront with people and telling them that they weren't good enough and that rub people up the wrong way. Steve Diamond, anyone who falls out with him is probably a decent person. So, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about that. And I think that if you look at him and how his career has gone, I think it could end up being a perfect marriage. There's no, it's not hidden really why he wants to come back. He's got this try scoring record in his sights and he wants it. And I think that if he's prepared to come in and say to Steve, look, I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do everything you need in training give me a shot because I want to score some tries. I want that record. Then who the hell are we to go and say, no, don't score any tries for us, Chris, because you know we don't need them. I think he could be superb. If you look at the kind of player someone like Harry Potter is, yeah, he's not an Adolo. He's not a Radwan, but he is a hard worker. He's an intelligent player. He could learn a hell of a lot off the way someone like Chris Ashton plays. So I think actually I've turned around to it. I'm really excited for it. Defensively, you know, God knows what we're going to get. You know, he's had his issues in the past and, under the high ball, he's sometimes a bit ropey, but he can play fullback, he can play wing. So I think it's an exciting signing. Thumbs up for me. And like you say, if anyone's going to keep him in line, it's going to be Borthwick. Next off the list was a rumour that was only from Ruck, but to be fair, it's been around a little bit. I haven't dug any deeper on it. I don't think you really have either, apart from the fact no. it's just general conversation. But Ben Curry has been mentioned. I've thought Ben Curry logically for a while would be an interesting choice because, you know, if he's going to play seven, 
he's probably always going to be behind his brother, despite being genetically identical to him, <laughs> uh, which must be slightly galling for him. And then, uh, you know, at six, you've got John O'Ross, who whilst being a walking yellow card, you know, death taxes and John O'Ross getting a yellow card. You've also got the fact that he, he might not be guaranteed a start at sale, which is bizarre because he's a quality operator. Therefore, I've always wondered that he might be a really smart signing to come over. And I think you've got Wayne Pivak, haven't you, talking about Tommy Rafael saying, oh, I'm not going to select him unless he comes and moves to Wales, which is fucking ridiculous, but that's the way of it. And Tommy's quality and he he will be absolutely torn because he's got a proper winning culture, a great environment here. The regions are down in the ship. You don't really want to be playing for those 90% of the time, but if it means that 10% of the time you get to play for your country, how the hell do you make that decision? It's ridiculous, but... And it's, it's just bizarre. Sorry, it's like off-tangent rant here, but it's bizarre for Welsh rugby. Why would you not want your players day-to-day in a better winning and coaching environment at Leicester than, rather than playing for the fucking Dragons and getting humped every week? It's absolutely ridiculous, but there we go. Um, and obviously, Marco Van Staden, we don't know, and if we did know, we wouldn't say because it, it's you know not our place to say. But I think it's quite clear that there must be a concussion concern with him because he's been off since... For a long time now, since going off uh, since going off with concussion, I think it was before Christmas that he was injured, wasn't it? Um, it was a Bristol game, so Bristol boxing. game, yeah. So between those two concerns, Rafael and Van Staden, you know, you've got to say that, of course, I think we'll probably be in the market for an open side. Yeah, definitely. I think you know Ben Curry might be out of contract in the um, summer. We might have another twelve months left with that option to have a look around. So I always think Ben Curry is that sort of signing that. You know, 15, 16 years ago, Tigers in their pomp would have made, you know, quite young player, loads of potential, already showing that he's got a fair amount of talent already in the environment that Borthwick and um, Sinfield and Walters have got at Leicester. It's easy to look at that sort of player and go, well, you're pretty good now. You're probably under the radar a little bit because your brother's getting all the applauded. Contract-wise, you're probably not going to take up that much room in the salary cap. So there's a huge amount of potential and you get a great value for money. And again, it comes back to the money ball approach, you know, his statistics and the things that Tigers will be looking out for, I bet he scores really high on them. So from a Tigers perspective, you know, like you've just said, I think we need to be looking around for different options. Let's make, you know, it'd be sensible just in case worst case scenario with either player happens. So therefore we need to have a look around and see what's, what's out and about. And I think, you know, if we do need to make a move, I think someone like Ben Curry would be an ideal person to come into that environment that Leicester now has. And quite clearly, he's got a really good work ethic. Quite clearly, you know, there's a fair amount of talent there and application. Sanderson talks really highly of him and he's well regarded in the sort of well, world. He was originally placed ranked above Tom Curry by Eddie Jones. He was there to, I think, play against Argentina or the Barbarians. can't remember which was the first one. And then he got injured. So his brother came in and replaced him, got man of the match, and nobody's ever looked back. I mean, he yeah. must occasionally, in the darkness at night, fucking swear his head off about getting an injury because it could have been him who is in that England seven shirt and Tom who hasn't quite made that leap. But as it is, it's the way round it is. He's genetically identical to Tom. He's a fantastic player. He's a hard worker. I think he'd fit in very well as well. But I mean, as we say, that's fairly unsubstantiated, that rumour, as far as we know. We're probably putting out feelers, but I don't know anything anything more than that. Yeah, it, let's see on that one. I, I, I do agree with you on the uh, the Rafael point. It was interesting on the um, the commentary from Friday night where Ben Kay and Monia were saying he's about to hit a sort of decision point with, about where, what he does for his career. 
I mean, it is staggering that he's probably in in the hands of the one of the world's best forwards coaches, and he's having to be confronted with this decision making. I mean, it, it's just a ludicrous thing that you know where he is is the best learning environment for him. Yet to progress his career, he has to go backwards. I mean, yeah. work that one out. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, Tommy Tommy Felt is a great player, and I can understand why we were looking at Ben Curry. And to be fair, Leicester needs a Curry. Hey, excellent. There will be lots of jokes about that, I'm sure, uh, once he joins the club, or if he ever joins the club. But, uh, all right, let's move on to international duty then. Let's go on to Tiger Watch and have a look at how the boys did for England. We had two starters. Uh, we had Ellis Genge uh, playing Lucid. Thought he had a cracking game, you know. Thought he was really, really good. All I, I thought he actually had a few dodgy moments with his hands in the first half, but I mean, so did half the England pack. But he sort of pulled it together after that first quarter. Fuck me, he was flying into some rucks. He was making some big tackles, big carries, and then, of course, the you know the the crowning cherry on top. A 20-meter miss, one pass off the weekend to this rampaging Jamie George. It was a beautifully weighted pass. You know, in NFL, I think they call it touch when you, you know, you're just dropping it right into the path of a receiver. And he did exactly that. Absolutely fantastic to see. Yeah, just casual, weren't it? Just uh, draw your man, slot it in. Jamie George doesn't break a stride in the corner. See you later, pal. I mean, that's a bit of George Ford uh, distribution paying off, that is, <laughs> to be fair. I mean, that's, that is pretty good. I think, to be fair, Genji on the first two England games, I think he's excelled himself. And I think he's probably Agreed. been top three England player, to be fair. I think um, you saw it against Scotland. It may be coincidence. I know they all made, everyone's made a big fuss about Marcus Smith going off, but I actually think Genji going off had I was a say, bigger impact. I was going to say, if you look at both games, when the game started to fall apart, we lost a little bit of ruck stability. You know, we didn't get clean ball. We lost a lot of go forward. People started knocking on mistakes. Lost a lot of energy. Both of those drops have come with Genge going off. And that's quite interesting. But no, that I thought Genge had a, a cracker. And then you had a steward at fullback. Really solid game. Made a couple of nice breaks. Absolutely flawless. And the high ball looked back to looking very, very comfortable again, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. What I liked about Freddie Stewart was the, um, to be fair, it might be something to do with how England are shaping their attack. But it was almost the timing of Freddie Stewart joining the attacking line and the sort of depth and his timing of, of getting yeah. onto the ball meant that he was really getting across the gain line. You actually saw him stretch his legs a few times in attack, which sometimes we've not really seen for both for Leicester and England. So it was nice for him to get when he's getting those sort of soft shoulders and he can break a tackle and he really, really gets a chance to sort of open up. And I think that's where, you know, I think Freddie if he's honest himself, probably he's looking at where it's means of improving himself. And I think it's in that sort of attacking game and adding something in that. So it was nice to see him put a bit of shape on it and, and do like that. So if nothing else, if, if, you know, Wiggy and Smithy at Tigers are looking at that, it, it'd be nice to see if they can incorporate some of that talent and, and how he approaches it into some moves for Tigers. Because I think it's definitely something I think it'd be really exciting to um, to see him do that for Tigers. Because especially with Fordy's, distribution skills and Dan Kelly as well. I think that'd be really nice. Yeah, I think that's a real good thing for us. He's shown a lot more input, actually, in attack for England than he has done for Tigers, uh, I think, uh, overall. He's joined the line a lot more. He's backed himself a lot more to have a go. Might not always break the line, but he always makes yards because, you know, he's a big guy, usually makes half breaks, and he's shown some nice hands as well, distributing. And he hasn't had the opportunity to do that a huge amount of Tigers. So like you, that's a good point. Hopefully we'll see a bit more of it because, you know, 
the more attacking weapons you have. And he has the potential to be a great attacking weapon. Um, so hopefully he'll get a chance to do that. Um, off the bench, Ben Youngs makes his uh, record equaling 114th cap. I thought he was a bit average, to be honest. I think he... Uh, came on <laughs> knocked the ball on which was annoying it was a scrappy ball off a ruck it was kind of as I was saying you know the ruck ball wasn't clean but that was frustrating the game at that point had already lost a lot of its impetus and England were defending it's again I just wonder sometimes about the tactics of it because we had a good rolling ball and then he went and kicked it and I thought well why are we going forward we've got them going backwards now's the time to attack that was a bit annoying but to his credit he then put in a couple of beautiful kicks one of which we regathered which helped set up Sinclair's try and then I thought his distribution off the back and he was looking for runners and darting off, I thought was really uh, really sad. I thought Randall had a decent game. I didn't see anything fireworks from him to suggest that he's going to start uh, for the Wales game. But, you know, as usual, there's all this hate about Ben Youngs, which is all utterly ludicrous. I have no doubt at all that, you know, in time, Quirk and Randall come along and, you know, there's an argument to start either of them now. But I, I think you saw that. A lot of the issues, I thought Randall was a bit hesitant with some of his passing, which to me shows that the issue is not Young's pass. We know he can be quick. We know he can be very alert. But I just wonder whether there's still, there's a lot of ironing out to do with the England attack, I think, to get the nines operating smoothly. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think there's there's still question marks over England's performance and England's way of playing. And I don't think, I'm still not 100% convinced that how we're set up gets the best out of the players. And I think Harry Randall in the, f- the first 50, 60 minutes is on the pitch probably testifies that because how he plays for Bristol is very much alive and sharp and very quick. He looks 20% more quicker. He looks 20% quicker for Bristol, doesn't he? Yeah, whereas with England, and I don't know if that's England or just how Test Match Rugby is, he looks less, you know, like you say, there's a 20% drop-off for England. So... You can't just judge a player, I think, in England conditions at the moment purely on how they are because there is a game plan that they're being asked to follow and there's still it's still a team that's finding its feet and in a bit of development still. So all of that has to be taken into account. The thing with Ben Youngs is, and, you know, test match rugby is like this in that you have to do the fundamentals very, very well and you have to do it consistently and you've got to do it to a high standard consistently. Someone like Ben Youngs does all of those things. That's why you play 114 caps because he, his distribution, his kicking, his game management and overall feel for the game is pretty, pretty good. And he does it to a high standard more often than not. So if you look around, well, who else is in that category? Danny Kerr? Maybe, you know, not as much as what Ben Youngs is. And that's how and why you, you play someone like Youngs because he fits the bill. And more often than not, he delivers for you. And you don't play 100, like I was saying on Twitter today, you don't play 114 times for England and there were 250, 260 games for Tigers. If you're no good, it's quite simple. We've had successions of coaches always come back to him and pick him. Why? Because they trust him. And yeah. I ultimately, whether you like that or not, that's a lot of about what Test Rugby is about, is hitting these percentages and being able to trust people with the game plan you want to, to, to go out and play. And it's funny because actually, again, Look back at the Scotland game. I thought Young had a pretty decent game there, and how he yeah. When I rewatched it. that, actually, I thought he actually was one of our better players, which yeah. is ironic because he had the amount of stick he got. He was definitely one of our best players. And I always say with the kicking game, I think as we said last week, look at the stats: dominating territory on that measure alone. Kicking game worked pretty well. Let's move on from one end of the experience scale right the way over to the other, where we had Young Ollie Chesson making his debut. 
Uh, fantastic to see. First touch in international rugby, line-out steal. It's easy, isn't it? Casual, isn't it? Imagine if he just mic dropped and just walked off and just went, see you later, boys. I've I've done it. That's my 30 seconds. <laughs> that's, that's me done. 100% record. No, I think it's great. I think Chesham is a tale of great hard work, perseverance and commitment. And is a, you know, if you are a young player looking around and in maybe struggling a little bit in your game, looking at someone like Ollie Chesham is a, is a sort of a poster for what hard work and the sticking at it gets you because he's gone in two years from being at, you know, in the sticks doing nothing and he's now playing for England and, and it's testament to the hard work that Tigers have done. So yeah, I think like we've said on this podcast before, when he's got such power, but skill levels and he's only 21 and he's 2021, you think, yeah, what's he going to look like in three or four years time with more and more, experience and playing around these better players and at top level rugby and you know getting himself into better shape and naturally filling out you just look at it and think at 24 25 we've got a real player on our hands and I just mm. you know I know we said before coming on I think he's got he's one of those players that looks probably a bit more natural it didn't look weird seeing him in the England shirt but that no way. he, he looked, looked very comfortable with what he was doing he only had a few touches but a few carries aggressive few clear outs he might be one of those guys who just randomly just takes like a duck to water to international rugby. And that's him away now for his career. As it stands, the magnificent Courtney Laws is returning. And quite rightly, he will probably come straight back into the starting line. So despite an impressive cameo, that may, may well be the last we see of him this Six Nations. I'd be interested to see how he responds when he comes back to Leicester. I remember when Martin came back from his time away with England and he looked like he'd gone up another gear. Uh, and that's really exciting with Chesham as well. So that's that's pretty good. Finally, George Ford came on, not for Marcus Smith. He had about five minutes with a Smith-Ford axis. I actually really liked it. I thought that looked really good for about five minutes when we actually had the ball. I think they only ran one sort of phase of attack, but they went right up from one end of the pitch to the other. Should have scored. Uh, don't know why the referee called time at the end to go and check a try when he could have just let, because the ball went backwards. So it should have been play on. He should have just let play continue. And they said, right, well, I'll check that try when the ball definitely goes dead. It was ridiculous by the referee, but I thought actually that worked quite nicely. Nice little thing to have perhaps in the back pockets if you're trying to chase a game. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there's few better attacking fly halves. And those two, I think if you, they are for me, the best tens in the Premier the Premiership at the moment. So, why not? It's just a sort of, like you say, in a risk-free five, 10 minutes, why not just put them together and see what they can do? I mean, it's, it works quite nicely because you could have both of them stepping in and, and you could, it would work out actually in someone like Marcus Smith's favour because he gets a bit more room to some manoeuvre and maybe coming in in the 13 channel. You know, Smith's got such talent and got such skills that why confine him to 10 at times when actually it's a bit tighter mm. in, the, in the midfield? But if there's a bit of room out, out wide, why not have someone you know, have him hanging out there where he can use his pace and his distribution a bit more to get get it out wide to Smith and and get some attacking plays going out wide. So yeah, I've as a as a shot to nothing, I thought it worked. And I'm intrigued to see what could be done with that because I think there could be a bit of a potential to 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 have that going a bit more because there's few better distributions. If you had than those two. Smith and Ford, I don't think you can have Slade in there. No. I think uh, but you could have Smith Ford to Laggy and then a pair of gun wingers, like attacking wingers, sorry, not Malins, like a Noel and a Radwan. Yep. And you've just got Smith 
and forward, roaming around, splitting up or coming around the corner behind one another, picking out options and strike runners left, right and centre. That could be very, very interesting to see. But probably a bench option. I wouldn't be going uh, balls out and starting with it yet. We'll see. But I'd be interesting to see who we get back in the week off and that coming up. We've got a fallow week in the Six Nations. Hopefully we'll have a few of the boys back and we'll get to see him in the flesh on Saturday. Well, I think Joe Hayes has kind of come back to us. There's a uh, the England have literally just announced the 25-man uh, training squad and um, five Tigers are retained. Uh, the one that isn't is Joe Hayes. So I'd expect Hazy to be um, in amongst it for us on um, on Saturday. So with a Which is good not- timing because I think Coley went off with a little bit of a niggle. So hopefully yeah. we'll keep Hazy. And uh, he, to be honest, I thought he should have started on uh, Sunday uh, ahead of Stuart. But there we go. Looking forward to seeing Hazy back next week. Right. Let's sink our teeth into this one. Elliot, before we jump into our tragically deep dive, Let's look at it overall and not perfect, but pretty bloody good and a return to real form. Yeah, I think so, mate. I think so. I think on, on the whole, Tigers be happy with that. 15 point uh, margin of victory, five points with a bonus point against your local rivals. At no point do I ever feel we're ever in any danger of losing the game. So I think Tigers will be pretty pretty happy with that. I think for the first 40 minutes, they'll be really happy with, with that. And I thought that was getting close to hitting some real top form in that first half. There's a couple of errors, but, you know, overall, really satisfying that. Second half, I think, dropped off a little bit. But again, it was not as if it dropped off to such an extent that we ever looked out of control, if that makes sense. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't perfect, but I think for large swathes of it, they, Tigers were actually quite far and away for better team. Thoroughly deserved a victory. And I think it's a, you know, Northampton are a classic mid-table side. They're not, quite at top levels but there's certainly no mugs either and to, to put them away with such such control I think is a pretty good sign that most things are firing in the right direction for Tigers Absolutely it felt very comfortable as comfortable as an East Midlands derby can do and I know what you mean about the second half maybe felt like we left a few points out there but that's almost makes it a perfect performance from a coach's point of view nice comfortable big win over your rivals five points in the bag know you want to talk about sort of what it means for the table and maybe how many more wins we need to get to secure a playoff. But it's excellent because it, we could have done even better. And perhaps we should yes. have done in that second half. But there were points in the first half when you say, look, this is how we want to play and we're executing it brilliantly. Well, let's look at the match itself. And it was a pretty chaotic start. Early dominance at the breakdown. But Mitchell turns Wiggly inside out by the scrum. Saints break up field and insane cover by Porter by the way on that I did a Twitter post on it he covers three attackers stays on his feet and just basically sort of goes around knocking them down like a bowling ball like one of your bowling balls Elliot you're the new Uh, Charlie Morgan (laughs) it was my pathetic attempt at being Charlie Morgan that's right look it bubbles around Mitchell's there to finish with a gorgeous step he is a cracking player but firstly it was a critical miss by Wigglesworth which is a bit disappointing but secondly a bit of controversy didn't lead to anything but I thought that ball definitely hit I think it was Hill's arm or, or I think it might have been Matavese's arm or no Furbank's arm even got their third time round Furbank's arm and bounced forward onto Montoya I think it was and then bounced forward and it was clearly from my point of view I thought that must be a knock-on but the referee did give it did you think that was a knock-on? Yeah it's, it's one of those sort of if you're an attacking team it's not if you're a defending team it is 
if it's for you, obviously you're going to go with it. it. It's not so much of a, a bad call that you're spitting feathers about it, but I think on balance it probably was the wrong call. But you can understand the reasons why they gave it. To be fair, so yeah, it would I'm have been fucking howling, it. wouldn't we, if it was the other way around? Yeah, I suspect, yeah, yeah, it's one of those where. It, you can understand why they didn't overturn it, and it's not so much of a bad call that you just go, oh, my God. <laughs> well, there's no such thing as sort of an even-handed call in an East Midlands derby, is there? There's there's right or, or a fucking disgrace. He's biased, who's paid him, all that kind of stuff. But look, uh, credit to the lads. Uh, it was one slip-up, but they were straight back into it. And I thought Porter, Kelly were running great lines in the midfield and really driving their legs in contact. I saw Hipkiss comparisons flying about with gay abandon, actually, during the game, which was nice to see. We also saw Montoya and Visa breaking tackles, hitting nice lines, which was great. It was pretty relentless. And then the ultimate party trick, Nadolo somehow hiding behind Wigglesworth. A physical impossibility, you say, but he lurks on his inside shoulder, then magically appears on the outside of of Wigglesworth. How smart was that little move by the two veterans? Yeah, totally. You saw on Friday night completely why uh Namani is such a massive player for us quite literally in all intent in all manner of meaning of the word massive because he is so powerful in his carry that he breaks through the tackle because of the threat of him being there even if he doesn't get the ball he takes two or three people to think about him or to look at him which creates space elsewhere and he's got such intelligence and reading of the game that he it was really nice watching his movement for both his tries because that, for that first one, he just follows the game really quite nicely, but in the backfield and times and spots his opportunity to perfection. Times his run, makes the call, grabs it over the line and it's seamless. And I think that's really, it's important to us and it's great to have him back. And I suspect it may just be a coincidence and I can understand it's, it might just be, but I do suspect but maybe some of Tiger's shaky performances and, you know, we've not quite been at a top level for, in my book, a couple of months. I suspect that might have had more to do with Namani not being there than others. Because if you've put Namani back into Tigers, you saw on Friday that, as I say, that overall package he comes with, it shows you why he's so important to us. And like you said, on Friday night, we almost had the old firm, pretty much the old firm back. We obviously didn't have Genji, but you've got Montoya, you've got Wells going hitting the line, you've got Hanro, you've got Visa, you've got Namani. You know, that's our five real gun ball carriers and all of them yeah. are hitting the line. You, put, you throw Genji back into that, that's, that's our sort of magic six. You know, five of our six gun ball carriers are in the side. I think you saw the impact that had and I'm very excited for Namani being back because it can't be understated how important he is. Yeah, well, you sort of... Uh, answer the next question I was going to say how good was it to have the big man back and it is excellent not just that try which I love that move where somebody's on an inside shoulder and then appears at the last second on the outside shoulder whenever I play yep. at my old Pisporians level something I always try and bring in if I find myself out in a sort of a 10 channel you know, god forbid everyone's panicking but I always try and tell a forward don't just run a straight inside line don't just run a straight outside line or an outside ball because a defence will mark up with how you're lined up they will say I've got 10 I've got 12, I've got the carrier, whoever it may be. If you've got this guy, no matter how big he is, Nadolo sort of, he's he's hiding behind the ruck and he appears on the outside shoulder right at the last second. So there's no opportunity to mark him up. And as long as you've got the guys, you know, your 
ball handler, the passer, stepping in and helping create that bit of space. It's so hard to defend against without leaving a gap somewhere. And that was, you know, <laughs> had to be a pretty big fucking gap for him to be able to walk through without anyone laying a finger on him. So that was really good to see. Great carry by Montoya in the build-up as well. We'll get to him in a minute. But I thought what was really pleasing about him being back was actually you thought, see, just how much he offers us in terms of our general play without necessarily even having to touch the ball. I think it was for the rolling mall try we scored. He, at one point, runs across to the blind side and four blokes follow him. Now, you've got to think about how much space that creates. And not only that, but if you're in the backfield, or sorry, we're playing from deep. If he's not playing, the opposition winger, his opposite number, will drop back expecting the kick. But if he is playing, they can't afford to drop back that deep because they know they're going to give him too much space at a run-up. And if he has space at a run-up, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you're probably getting beaten. So it makes it so difficult for them to defend. It creates a huge amount of space, not only for passing from deep, so we can actually attack from deep. We did that loads against Gloucester to really good effect. We did it to pretty good effect against Northampton as well. I think I think that it creates just so much opportunity for someone like Burns or Ford as well to kick in behind that wing just because he offers so much of a threat. So I agree with you. He's massively important and he does add an extra dimension to our game just by being on the pitch. But it felt to me like after that try, we really got into our groove. You could feel it on the TV. Uh, it must have been brilliant on the terrace. I was good I wasn't there. But uh, I think we saw a Freddie Burns chip and chase, you know, when it was on. That was great to see. And then we saw a gallop by Hanro um, on the far side towards Crofty's corner, reminiscent of Crofty making that break against Harlequins as well. Uh, if I'm being critical, he doesn't find his support again because it was Harry Wells. I've never seen him run so fast in his life on the inside shoulder. And I thought he was going to get a try, which would be by far probably longest distance than all his other tries combined. But uh, Hanro doesn't find him. So that's a bit disappointing, second weekend in a row. But I think that. Other than that, he was properly back to his best form, it looked. He was absolutely epic again, and um, he, he looks... We remember what we've been missing now. Yeah, totally. You sort of see with Hanro the full repertoire of skills he's got, and the power. We talk about Visa's power, but you forget that actually Hanro's quite a pretty powerful guy himself in his own right, and that, that gallop actually shows you what he's about, where he breaks through the defensive line and just get opens his legs and... The, opens up and he just chews up the yards pretty quickly and, and yeah we are being slightly critical where it's twice in two weeks where he's, he should have just popped a pass and um, his guy either side is in but yeah he's, fundamentally he's so important again he's another guy that in a team of 15 where you I know rugby you need a lot of people coming together he's probably one of our six or seven sort of big hitters that if they're not on form it has a material impact on how we go as a team and I think if Hanro plays well, Leicester play well. And I think that's a, it is important to have guys like him back and firing because both his line outs work, his leadership, general um, carrying is so crucial to us. And I think it's, it's, it's a great battle for the sixth year now between him and George Martin, where you can mm. say the Friday night was a perfect example of it, where you can actually say to Hanro, go off for 60 minutes, empty your tank, smash blokes and, and do what you need to do. And with 15, 20 minutes left, right, George, go and do the same. And it allows us again to play that 80 minute high intensity game, but we want to do because there's very little drop off in quality between those two. So it's a, again, it's a nice sort of setup for, for George to come in to, um, to follow. Hey, look, I, I agree. And you know that uh, I rate George Martin very, very highly. We were saying on the podcast last week, is he genuinely pushing Hanro out of a starting spot? I thought Friday was a nice reminder why Hanro is still ahead of Martin in the pecking order. And I think 
it is close, but I think it is clear that he yeah. is still ahead. And the reason for that is I think Martin probably is a better carrier in close traffic now. I think he's a big bloke. He makes big yards in traffic. I think he probably is an out-and-out bigger hitter. But if you want to see what they offer in attack, I think Hanro is still a he- quite a significant step ahead. Not only you saw with that break, but his handling, he was involved in about two of the tries with really nice deft touches in handling, which I think is probably still a bit of a development area for Martin. And he becomes quite a pivotal point in the attack. Like you say, you've got visa hitting angles, Nadolo, Montoya, Liebenberg. It just creates more and more space. It piles up on top of each other. It becomes irresistible. And at times, that's exactly how he looked. He looked irresistible. thought he was absolutely excellent. My wife also paid attention to him as well. She said, oh, he's nice. I like him. I said, he's been at the club for fucking two years, Beth. Where have you been? He is a very good looking man. He is excellent. And, you know, he, he, you know, leading the club out again as a captain, he's a very nice poster boy for the club. So fantastic. Again, he signed a new contract and he's got a good shot at being skipper next year as well. Yeah, totally. I I think he, you, when you do the, com- the comparison between him and George, Hanro's got three or four years more experience. Oh, yeah. Him. Yeah, definitely. That's and not I to say you... Martin won't, won't reach that point, no. but it just goes to show that there is a clear, I think, where... There, there is a gap at the moment, I think. That's it. That's it. It's Hanro's got an extra gear in him over George, which is based around that three or four years more of experience, which George will develop into. So George, I think, at the same age, when he gets the same age what Hanro is, will be at the same sort of player because he's got that much potential and room to manoeuvre in. And he's only ever going to get better with his work ethic and all the rest of it. Hanro, just by being a bit older and a bit more experienced, has got that extra gear. And like you say, he's got that extra quality. And I think with the sort of, you know, we're starting to think ahead now towards this fast approaching maybe the end third of the season. Someone like Hanro is, is going to be so crucial to us as we start thinking about bigger and, um, you know, more important games coming up. I think someone like that is, and having him fit and firing is crucial to us. So, I'm, so I was actually quite glad that he didn't do the full 80. It was, quite, it was quite nice just for his own real good sort of squad management, just to let him have 65 minutes and go, George, right on you come and, 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 and yeah, we've got some big games chaos. coming up and he looked he looked very, very good whilst he was on the pitch. So that was really encouraging. Yeah. We were sort of in this golden period, I thought, in the first half, 20 minutes where we looked by far and away leagues ahead of Northampton, to be honest. And yeah. breakdown dominance was key. We were utterly dominant, I thought, at the breakdown and we were destroying them there. And, you know, there's defensively, there was massive pressure. I think Freddie Burns added three off a turnover and Saints are making all sorts of errors. I mean, the... Defensive press looked utterly suffocating at times. Before last week, we were saying, oh, is the defence a little bit shaky? But Sinfield's obviously got hold of people. So Kev has got them gelling again. It was really aggressive. But we've got ball winners all over the park. Guy Porter winning a turnover. I think that was the one for Freddie, Freddie's penalty. Obviously, Montoya won about, I think he won four turnovers or affected four turnovers, which is astonishing. Uh, Rafael obviously getting in on it as well. How good is it to have these ball-stealing threats all over the park because we know Nandola and Kelly can do it too. Yeah, and to be fair, Nephi off the benches is, is someone that can... Uh, Visa's produce. been up to it recently as well. Yeah, I, I think well, it's a t- a t- like a two-stage process where because we're so physical in the tackle and we can hit the attacking line so hard and driving back, it allows us a second or two seconds to get our big sort of turnover winners in and over the ball. And because we're you know, we're the aggressors in defence and we're making the dominance hits. One, it stops the attacking team at source. And secondly, it allows people to get in and make that sort of turnover. And I think what you're seeing is that 
like you say, that rugby league defence that Sinfield has is, is brought in where one goes high, one goes low. And um, and it's just so well organised that you're just stopping people at, at source. And I think it's it's exciting to sort of see that we've got six or seven uh, options like that on the field at any one point. And like you say, Visa is another one that's developing his game. Someone like James Whitcomb, I think, is a, is a player who I think, for a big lad, I think could add that to his armoury because you're starting to see how yep. he's so intelligent and his physicality. I think he could be another one that could um, start picking a few pockets as well. I am slightly concerned that we conceded 20 points at home, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, our defensive and our defensive press was so important. Mm. We saw it against Worcester where we're hitting and driving people back and we're making them kick and we're making them do things that the, the opposition don't want to be doing. And it's the same with Saints. So a team that so renowned for chucking the ball around, they just never got any attacking foothold in the game for the 80 minutes. And, you know, well, yes, we they... forced them into making some howlers, didn't we? I mean, they, they oh, were chucking 100%. the ball on the floor, some some real sort of shocking passes and knock-ons and stuff. They were panicking because the press was too big. And I, I'm going to slightly disagree. I'm not too worried about the conceding of 20 points at home. I mean, it's not not ideal. But against a side like Saints, I think you're always going to concede tries. I think the, uh, the one which Skozan scored, um, you know, great try. You can't do a lot about that. He skins Nandolo on the outside. Perhaps Nemanja wasn't perhaps showed him a little bit too much of the outside for all his strengths. <laughs> Acceleration off the mark probably isn't one of them and he does get done and it's a lovely line by Skozan to take himself away from the cover as well. So at that point, you say, you know, great try. First try was a bit of luck, loose ball, bubbles about. That happens every now and again. Perhaps again, we, the break off the scrum was the disappointing part. And the third try was, you know, I think we were just perhaps switching off towards the end of the game a little bit. Again, you know, made a lot of subs, and we'll come to that later. That was that was perhaps the only one really. I thought, well, that's probably where we'll be a bit disappointed. The others were kind of one. In a sense, you can't do anything about the other two. But you know, we we were sort of so dominant. It didn't really matter kind of how many points they were going to score because it always felt like we were going to squeeze them and score more. Now Nadolo scores again, and you must really have it in for Northampton because it comes after a, a great rip in a mall by Wellesley when Ribbons was all over it like a sort of mad octopus. And, Wellesley gets in. I thought, oh, this is going to be a scrum to Northampton. But Wellesley gets in, rips it, pops it back. He had a good game overall, Wellesley, didn't he? He was the glue that kind of brings everything together for Tigers. That yellow was a bit fucking silly, wasn't it, though? Yes. Um, he still 2018 vintage Harry Wells made an unwelcome reappearance. Yeah, it, it's, he does have a tendency at times to have a bit of a flash of anger and it. it it results in either a penalty or, in this case, a yellow card. It is frustrating because it, it puts a black mark against otherwise a pretty good, a pretty good game. And, and the importance of that rip is actually seen in in how much space Nadolo's got out wide. Is because Saints feel like they're potentially stopping that maul. They're quite narrow in the defence, so by able to ripping the ball out and getting it across quickly, it takes out three or four defenders and it allows the Mali to get onto the outside yeah. channel. And and basically swap Mitchell away. <laughs> like, such an unnecessary bump. He didn't need that at all. He was on the line. He's like, right, who's next? And then yeah, Mitchell, I'll just smash you. There was a guy at my school. I was playing, did did you ever like have like um, like we have house rugby or whatever it is? You have house competitions, and we had we had house rugby, and it was basically all the guys who played rugby and all the guys who didn't play rugby were forced to play rugby. Or just sign up for it because I thought it'd be a laugh. And occasionally it would be an unfair and frankly dangerous mismatch. And I remember this was when I was about 13. The school bully, of course, who was the number eight, was on, on 
my side and he made a break up the wing and this poor guy who you know was I think wanting to become an archaeologist or something like that he's all skin and bone he had to take his hearing aid out for the game and stuff was heroically chasing back and you know our guy was just going to run in and score he spotted him turned round ran backwards so he could hand him off in the face and then ran in to score <laughs> Look, luckily the, the the referee who was the head coach blew it up and sent him off for that front sportsman like conduct but like it was almost like that it was like the money you didn't need to go after Mitchell there but when you talk about asserting dominance that was a that was fantastic but look I thought that there was a constant theme of the first half was Dan Kelly carrying really really hard uh, and breaking first uh, tackles from first receiver at 12 he was straightening the line a lot more and running a lot harder than I've seen him for a while it's like he decided during the week, there was some chat about, oh, England need a, a hard-carrying centre who, who's got, you know, nice distribution. And Dan Kelly was like, well, fuck it out, I'll show you. And he hold my beer. Hold, hold my beer. beer. <laughs> and he aimed at Mitchell and Furbank, who was playing at 10 in particular. And I thought, actually, there was one particular big carry he did on Mitchell off a restart. And he went straight through it, really, really aggressive. And I thought it really shook Mitchell up. I saw him and he he'd look really sparky at the start Mitchell had. And I don't think he was the same after that. He he was, you know, he's done so much already. Like defensively, he is superb. We've seen him develop his attacking game and his passing. And now he's apparently adding, becoming a high speed barrel to the list as well. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be too long for Eddie Jones is on the phone to him. If he's got any common sense. I mean, what did you make of his display? I mean, you've summed a lot of it. I mean, if you're Eddie Jones, why wouldn't you pick him? Because he's got, all the facets of that 12 shirt at a pretty good level at the moment. And the lad's only 21. So again, you, you come back to so many other players like that in Tigers, the, the ceiling is endless. And if he is prepared to work hard and, and stick at it and trying to improve, you could, he could take his game as far as he wants to. And yeah, I mean, Friday night is a perfect example of that. And I think what was quite nice and what has been quite nice over the last few weeks is that sort of midfield axis of Burns, Kelly and El Porter, they've had two games, two or three games now together, and it's starting to just click a little bit in that yeah. combination. They're just starting to get a bit of times where Dan Kelly goes into first receiver, which allows Freddie to loop and get the ball out wide. I think you've seen Dan Kelly's confidence at first receiver improving. His distribution's nice. Nice couple of offloads, hits hard. As a 12, I mean, there isn't much more you can sort of say about him, but, you know, you, t- you can't, it's not, there's no weaknesses per se. There's a lot of room for improvement, but there's no weaknesses there. And he's certainly not going to let you down. And I think if, if you are, I'm surprised Eddie hasn't, um, as part of his sort of squad revisionism, but he does. I'm surprised he hasn't just given him a call, just even for a training camp, just say, look, do you fancy it? And just see if we can see if, like you say, we do need a hard hit in 12. Let's see if we can do it. Because Sam Warburton's point about the obsession and England's reliance yeah. on Manu. I think he's a very good one. And obviously I'm never going to say he's the next Manu because that's ridiculous. But if you wanted another option of, obviously he's never going to be like Manu, but if you want another option of, you know, someone that can hit a good line, defensively sound and be physical with some decent distribution, then Dan Kelly's your man. He is looking very, very sharp. And I thought that was one of his most impressive performances from an attacking perspective, definitely this time around, which was really, really good to see. So it was really impressive first 30, 25, 30 minutes. Uh, and then Freddie Burns goes off uh, for an HIA. Ashton comes on for his debut. Bryce moves to 10. And we lost a little bit of rhythm. Obviously, we had a couple of kicks, which Bryce missed. 
I said it last week, I'm not convinced about him being a 10, certainly not when he's the only playmaker or out-and-out distributor there. Do you still think that's the case, that he's, he definitely looks like more of a 15 playing 10? He's had, he's had loads of time when he's at 15. And, you know, he looks much more cautious. He, he looks a lot more, like, hurried and frantic, I feel, when he's at 10. I'd be intrigued to see him start a league game at 10. So, he's, so, so therefore, he's picked in that position. So Freddie took a knock, for example, and yeah. for Saturday's game against Bath, Steve picks Hegarty at 10, just to see how he could get on. Because in the t- couple of times I have seen him at 10, he's looked all right. But then at the couple of times where he's come in to be fullback to start with and then comes into the 10 shirt, like you said, he does look a bit frantic and he doesn't have that composure that he normally does. I don't know if it's something where he prepares all week to be 15. In the middle of a game, he's asked to be 10. He's sort of, he's not quite fair. I'm not sure. But um, I know what you're trying to say because he doesn't have that same comfortability that maybe Ford and um, now Freddie's got. Comfortability. Um, I'm, I'm making it a word. I'm make I, it no, a word. I, th- I think that was, I seem to remember someone mentioning it on The Apprentice. A few years oh, ago. Oh, don't do that. Don't yeah, me you're, like, you're that. like one of those don't apprentice, apprentice business like people. Yeah. Yeah. My first word wasn't mummy, it was money. Well, that's if I ever shit. said that, if I ever said that, or if I ever came up with some shit on the terrace, please punch me in the face. I would never fucking <laughs> you say heard it here okay. first. Yeah, I'd never no, say but, shit like that. Yeah, but, but I I mean, hopefully, yeah, like you understand what I mean. Like he he it is just like a little bit of confidence. And like you say, he doesn't look as comfortable as he does at 15. I mean, say that penalty miss. Shouting, oi, Bryce, do you want any gravy with that shank? And yes. another terrible, terrible lines that I was shouting at the TV. But we, we do, though, get a rolling ball, and Montoya goes over for a deserved try. Now, I've put my thinking hat on, and I've rewatched the game because I'm sad like that. I think that is the most dominant and the best performance by a Leicester Tigers hooker I've seen since I'd say 2013, 2014 vintage Tom Young's. On that second viewing, I thought it was absolutely monumental. He did absolutely everything. He smashed people in defence. He was huge at the breakdown. He was obviously very, very prominent in attack and very, very good in the set piece as well. Could he arguably be the Tigers' most important big-name signing of recent years? Yes. In a nutshell, in a crowded field in the last two years, since Borthwick was announced as being our head coach, in all the signings that I've made in that time, we've made such good recruitment. It, it, it's a crowded field. His is the signing that is just so, so good and so important to us. You just have to applaud whoever it was that managed to do it and get the deal done because he is so, so, so good. And it is almost quite no- noticeable of just how important he is to us in and how he plays because he's everywhere and he's got everything. And he is so physically dominant and he's at so much the top of his game. It's quite scary at times because he is so good. And I think it is, yeah, I think I think it's mega. And you, again, you start thinking about what we want to do and what we want to achieve this year. He is a big part of that. And yeah. almost in a way, you almost have to manage him and how much game time he gets because what you don't want to do is lose him because the impact that has with all due respect to the other hookers we've got, but he is massive yeah. and he is like world-class is a word. And we've spoken about this before. It's a phrase that's banded around sometimes quite loosely and almost too loosely. I don't think it can, it's, it's too loose when you look, think of Montoya. No, 
No, I, I, when I say world class, I mean there's a good argument for him being the best in his position in the world in a very crowded field of excellent hookers at the moment. There are some superb players going around. But he was just absolutely monumental. If you haven't watched the game, rewatch it just for him and watch what he does. I mean, Freddie Burns got man of the match. We'll come on to Freddie shortly, and he was superb. But I think even Montoya eclipsed him. I can't think of a hooker having to do anything else. He was absolutely sensational. Don't think he had a bad moment. I don't think if no. you were to go analyse that game. He looked hard as fuck as well, didn't he? Because he, he had blood streaming from his forehead. Yeah, Terry Butcher. Abs- yeah. Absolute warrior. Oh, it's minor flesh wound. Oh, nails, mate. Absolute nails. The fact that blood's pissing out of his forehead and he's like, yeah, I'll keep going. I, I, I mean, saw that because I saw Callum Green was like, oh, Callum Green's bleeding as well. But it's the same incident. They face planted on each other. I mean, yeah, there's only going to be one winner there and it ain't going to be uh, Callum Green. Bless him. <laughs> that's sweet on Montoya. That's doing damage. <laughs> yeah, Harry Maguire, eat your heart out. But look, it was, it was, uh, well, I, I've got to say, I thought Callum Green had a cracking game as well. Really, really solid game as well. So that was really good to see. That Rolling Moore try, just a little point at the end of it, it was really good to see almost identical reactions, sort of getting up, fist pumps, roaring from two blokes at the opposite end of the age and appearance scale in Dan Kelly and Dan Cole, both getting up, doing the exact same sort of celebration. It was almost like it was synchronised. I can't imagine that Coley's been said to Dan Kelly, look, if we score a rolling mall try, do this sort of synchronised celebration with me. I don't think that's, I don't think it was intentional, but it was just nice to see everyone buying into that passion that and the pride in the rolling mall, which is really, really important to see. So as we said before, Saints straight back from nowhere. Real beauty, to be fair, with that scones and try. Not a lot we can do about it. A great play by Hutchinson. I thought what we needed to do here was take the spring out of Northampton's game because you could see that their tails were up. But unfortunately, we had some average kicking, sort of handed initiative back to them. Uh, for the only time of the game, we sort of made mistakes numbering up as well. I think we twice left Paul Coley out on his own, isolated against Furbank, and uh, they, they took full advantage. And it wasn't necessarily Coley's fault. It's just it was a communication fault across the line. Connections seemed to break and the gaps opened up for them. And uh, Furbank gets through. Looks for all money like he's going to the corner. Chris Ashton on debut. Came on, I, I don't know what it was like. Any, let me know on the terrace, but it sounded quite lukewarm welcome for him. Yeah, like applause. All right, show us what you're all about then, Chris. And he makes an absolutely brilliant Austin Healy-esque cover tackle in the corner. And it looked for all money like Fairbank was going to score. Eventful debut for Ashton, wasn't it? What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean... It's quite poetic for his first game for Leicester is against Northampton, given the uh, the history. And I suspect yeah, they, um, I suspect the Saints contingent in the crowd was probably the biggest cause of um, any sort of lukewarm reception. Because I can't imagine he's um, remembered quite as fondly as maybe his, his record suggests he should be. But I mean, it's funny we didn't mention it earlier about Ashton. The fact is, the reality is this: he's been with the club for a week or just over. And yet well, he officially, trusted... he's been training for a, for a longer time, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, however, it was a very short period. Yeah, he made he was trusted to make his debut on a you know after a very short time training with the squad. That probably suggests in how much good Nick is is that they can just put him in and he's and he's ready to go. The fact he made that tackle because, like you say, that's all or nothing. You either, you the guy either scores or you time your tackle and make it per, like a perfect tackle to make it no try. And yeah, I think. That's a real good way of introducing yourself to uh, to a home crowd like that, especially one that maybe have a few misgivings about him. But I think we saw in his debut what Ashton's about. You know, there's a couple of nice support lines. 
nice couple of sort of breaking through um, tackles. A bit of a nice an interchange with, with Tommy Raffel, which I think... He, he added uh, a little bit of nice high energy. Yeah, that bit with Raffel. And I think a couple of times he got the ball joining the line. Again, you saw him hunting for work. Probably more so than than any of our 15s actually usually hunt for work, but he was really hunting for it. And when he gets it, he's he's looking to go. He's looking to make something happen. Uh, and you can just feel the energy just pick up a little bit. And that's quite exciting, actually. And it shows it shows how hungry he is. He wanted to make an impression. I thought in his first stint coming on, he certainly made one. I thought when he went off, after, shortly after making that tackle, you could see he was probably slightly taken aback by the, the terrace really, really gave him a, a cracking ovation and he very, very well deserved as well. And then obviously he came on at the, at the end, <laughs> in the Ashton style, yellow card on debut, three times offside in the set. I'm not too worried about that. I saw saw some, I'll put it kindly, misguided comments on social media saying, oh, it's rubbish, you know, getting yellow card. Those ones when you're on your own line and you're trying to get off really, really quickly to, to shut down an attack, you're always going to be pushing the offside line. It's actually been a bit of an Achilles heel for us all the time. He's just joined the club, like you say. He's probably still trying to get that balance right. He's not played a game, not played a premiership game for about 18 months. That was his first appearance playing pro rugby for 18 months, I think. So, you know, I think all things being considered, it was a really, really promising debut. And I do hope we get to see a little bit more of him. Hopefully, he'll, he'll, we'll get a start at some point when we can give other guys a rest and we can really see what he can do. Because um, I think he has got a lot to offer. So we see out the first half, but it, it, it's we're sort of on the back foot and it's not helped by that. Really silly late dump tackle by Wells. And Joe Lunn, um, he's a good lad, got in touch, played against him for Stonygate. Uh, he plays for Rugby Weeks, or he played for Rugby Weeks. I think he still plays for them. We were on opposite wings when I was a little bit quicker. And fuck me, he was he's, I was bigger than him, but he was an absolute nightmare to get hold of. He absolutely stood me up a few times that day. It was quite embarrassing. Uh, but he got in touch to say that um, he thought it, it was a shit decision. And it was sort of Tom Foley, sort of just trying to make it the Tom Foley show from the, the video truck. And now I disagree. I thought look, it was a it was a late tackle and it was a marginal dump tackle. So perhaps adding those two together, I thought, yeah, it's probably yellow was about about fair. I did see Tom Foley occasionally jumping in with shit calls. There was one on, I think, Potter taking the bloke out in the air and he was effectively blocked running and got effectively ran into the guy in the air. So it wasn't his fault at all. It was actually Saints blocking lines. I thought Matt Carley had a really decent game, really decent game as the man in the middle, as the referee. Showed again probably why there's a big gap between him and Luke Pierce. I think Luke Pierce is probably a step ahead of him. And then there's Carly, and then there's quite a big gap towards some of the others. And then there's another big gap before some of the others as well. We're not going to go and mention those. Um, what did you make of the officials? I thought it was all generally it was all fine until Tom Foley sort of stuck his nose in. Yeah, I don't, can't disagree with that. I think Carly had a good game, especially in East Midlands rock games like that, and especially on a Friday night with a crowd maybe having a few beers as well. It is a tough game to referee because there's an awful lot going on and you don't want to ruin the, the sort of spectacle of it. You've got to hand, you've got to allow for the fact there may be a bit of over-enthusiasm in the first 20 minutes especially. I think he handled it pretty well. I thought his communication was quick. I thought his decision-making, he didn't dick around. I thought he made his, his decisions calm. There was nothing there which I disagreed with. I think he got all the big calls Right. I mean, you could make a case for Wells maybe not getting a yellow, but I don't think there's a minor. I think it's a minor, it's a minor thing. No, I've, I've, I fully enjoyed Matt Carley's uh, performance. Tom Foley showed that even if he's, he's got TV replays, he's crap. Um, 
you know. Yeah, sometimes you've got the excuse, ah, you know, they're trying to judge it live. It's quite difficult, isn't it? Uh, Tom Foley's got a fucking million, like, replays available to him, and he still manages to get them wrong. You know, it, it, it is a shame in that there's a few times where you could just sense Foley's desperation to get involved. And actually, it's like, yeah. fuck off, mate. Carl is... It was, it was actually dog, on the Wells. The big dog's in charge, mate. It was on the well, yeah. Carly's like, for fuck's sake, just let me do it. Like, it was quite funny. Uh, they did some stuff really well. I thought Carly's really clear, isn't he? When he's sort of saying, Look, can you check that? And then they said, Fine. And I thought, you know, good. They had that rolling sort of discussion, which I thought was going to think. I think Sarah Cox, the referee, as well. I saw her do that the other week, and that was really mm. impressive to see as well. And it was with Foley. It's just the tone he said it in was just really annoying. It's probably a bit similar to Christoph Ridley smirking when he said it's going to be a penalty tried Saracens. But it was when they were looking at the replay and Foley they, and, and Carly's like, can you just check that? Don't need to don't need to do anything more than just a penalty. And Foley goes, um, I think we better check this, uh, Matt. Oh, you, could yeah, just, yeah. you could just you could just hear him sort of like shifting in his seat, saying, Oh, time for big T folds to get involved and stick his oar in. It was a fuck off, Tom. Foley is a Foley was a prefect at school, <laughs> if that would. If he saw you like if he saw you kissing behind the bike sheds, we'd be like, oh, what are you doing? And to go off the in the act. <laughs> oh, I'm on the grass on you. Oh, where's... Sir, sir. Sir. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, can't, I can't bag on it too much because uh, I got made a prefect at school. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, but I... Yeah, so that, anyway, we hang on. 22.10. And it's a... It felt like we should have been out of sight, to be honest. I thought we did leave some points out there in the first half. Perhaps not as many as we did in the second half. But fortunately, again, breakdown dominance was was king. I thought, you know, Montoya and Tommy caused absolute chaos. And there was exchange of penalties, I think, in the second half. And I thought then Freddie Burns took total charge of the game. Absolute total charge. There were clever kicks to the corner. I mean, like, like he's playing the territory game really nicely. But then smart attacking kicks, you know, over his shoulder, over the defence, catching the blindside winger napping. He was chipping over the top, but timing it really nicely, identifying the space. I think in the first half, he did it from deep, didn't he? You know, he's, you could tell, we said last week, when he's reading it and he's feeling it and he's doing it at the right time and he's not forcing it. And you could feel he he, he was up. You could feel goosebumps on it when he was playing. You could feel that he was properly in the moment and playing like we know he can. And I'll say, you know, we've had some great fly-off performances this season. George Ford against Exeter at home. George Ford against Northampton away. Uh, against Bordeaux away. I think this was in the top five fly-half performances of the season, uh, including all of Ford's performances. I thought it was absolutely sublime. We said he just needed a run to build his mojo, baby, and we were right, weren't we? Yeah, I mean... Th- this was the sort of the reason why we've we've been sort of banging the Freddie Burns drum and just to say keep the faith. Stick with because him. Yeah. Keep the faith with him because 10 more than any other position on the pitch is a lot about rhythm and playing regularly and and having a feel for the game and getting your sharpness back. And I think you're sort of seeing uh, that with Freddie now where he's got that sharpness back. He's got his feel for the game and his decision-making. It's not just his... Um, his play, but his decision-making was really, really good. Knowing when to kick, knowing when to pass. You know, there's a couple of times where there may have been a, there was an opportunity to, to lob a more of a speculative pass like we saw against Worcester, but he held on to it and he made a better option. And I think that's really the crux of the matter is he was just taking better options and making better decisions for what he was doing and executing what he wanted to do better. That comes with more game time. 
And I think it's actually getting really exciting because if he is now starting to hit his straps, we've still got another four or five weeks of him, yeah. maybe another six. You know, We've got four or five weeks of Freddie in this form. We've already said nice little combination building with Dan Kelly and Guy Porter. Scotty's in, in amongst it as well. You know, it is quite exciting, especially with Namani back as well. It's quite nice to see if, you know, Freddie starts getting one of those fizzing those balls into Namani into the midfield, you know, Namani could get himself into a nice position. If he can break through that sort of front-up tackle on A1 ball, we could really sort of see a bit of stuff in there. And what I liked about Freddie, the turn of pace, the real good turn of pace when he actually made the break, got away from the... Yeah, he'd have finished those off five years ago. (laughs) Well, we've all all put a bit... We've all uh, had to do it. Yeah, the the depressing decay of age. No, he still looks sharp. He's still proper sharp. His acceleration is still really, really good. And he, he was unlucky not to get a try because he made about three or four searing breaks, didn't he? And mm-hmm. one of them was an absolutely gorgeous pickup. I thought, oh, I thought he wasn't was, it just, yeah. I thought, well, there was one before, I think, which was really good awareness by Whitcomb, who had another really solid day. We'll come to the set piece in a minute. But I thought, you know, he got put on side by a charge down and lovely little flick to Burnsy. And then there was another, I think it was a kick by Wigglesworth, sort of bobbled about. Burns, he picks it up, and I didn't see until the replay. It's that full tilt, one hand scoop. If Marcus Smith does that, you know, we have, you know, clean up an aisle two, please, for all pundits. It's absolutely sublime bit of play, and he's unlucky not to score. But then he gets back in the line. Lovely pass for Bryce Hegarty, um, uh, who drifts really nicely out wide, sort of the lure, slight home out, and then he steps him on the inside and gets over really comfortable at 15 again. It's just brilliant to see him playing with that fears and. And Bryce at 15 again looking good. So I I really, really enjoyed that. He was involved in all the tries as well. Last course, we got a bit scrappy though, I thought. And, you know, if we're being really critical, I thought the set piece perhaps really started to suffer with the subs that came on. Uh, you know, Leitinanger at tight head, you know, he seemed to struggle. He seemed to keep dropping his knee. He was rolling his shoulder a bit. So maybe he had a little bit of an issue there. And Fanfake, perhaps not quite as dominant as he was for Saints. Interesting, I thought Whitcomb against Paul Hill. He was Paul Hill was losing a lot in the engagement, and usually kind of I'm a bit wary about saying, "Oh, that's dominance," because well, if a team folds on the engagement, you can usually go one of two ways, can't it? But he seemed to look dominant again. But set piece and the worries about that was that a little bit of a concern for you? The way that sort of fell apart. I think Charlie Clare struggled in the line out a bit as well, didn't he? Yeah, there was a couple of throws that went away, and there was a couple of scrums that went against us. The coaches will know better than I do, and certainly about the specifics of the scrum. But it is a concern. There was, there was one scrum. And it all, to be fair, the Welford Road pitchers took a bit of a battering and it does look a bit boggy. And it was almost where it wasn't, to be fair, it wasn't just Nephi that was sort of slip and sliding. It did look as though our pack had, had gone onto a bit, of, a bit of a ground where there was no traction underfoot because there was three or four of them that seemed to be trying to dig their um, studs in and were just getting no traction from the turf. And it was just basically doing an ice skating thing. And when you've got eight big forwards on the opposition pushing at you um, with a bit of force, that doesn't that don't end well, I've got to be honest. So I think there will be a bit of concern and I think they will be going analysing the detail of it and they'll try and make that as an improvement. Thankfully, for the, for the 60, 65 minutes when it really counted, I thought Tigers were exemplary in, exemplary in it, but it is a concern with 15 minutes left that we went a bit untidy in that area. Yeah, Coley going off with a little bit of a niggle as well, uh, sort of around his knee, which is always a bit worrying, but he obviously went off 
But he seemed to walk okay and he wasn't properly limping. So hopefully it was just precautionary because we were on top at that point. Might mean that Joe Hayes coming back is absolutely crucial for us uh, this week. Not a bad replacement. Not a bad replacement at all. And actually, you know, maybe it could be, we could say, Coley, have a rest because he's played a lot of rugby over the last few weeks and you can give him a complete rest. He doesn't even need to be on the bench. Uh, And we'll see see how we go. Um, Overall, though, I felt like this was a proper return to form even though I think we left some points out there in the second half, 35-20, five league points for us. New points for Saints, and I don't think you can ask for much more than that. No, absolutely. The same with um, Worcester, job done. You came in for five points. You got the win. Um, to be fair, I put this down for, I wasn't expecting a bonus point from this one. I was just happy to take the win. I think Northampton at home is, is one of those where bonus points are very much definition of bonus uh, in this instance. So, yeah, I think that's a real good um, performance. So, a couple of bits to be more accurate at. I think there's, I think that's the sort of tail of the second half inaccuracy. I think if we can sort of tighten up that and be a bit more um, tight on the on our sort of detail, I think we'll we'll really um, see an improvement. But yeah, I think overall you've got to be absolutely happy with that, considering you know it's at Six Nations period as well. So yeah, we keep, it keeps chalk another one up for the boys. One last thing. Let's go through a couple of the three-word reviews. Elliot, you got any favourites? Yeah, there was plenty to choose from. Plenty of good ones as well. Yeah, just, great reaction to, this week. Yeah, I have to say, it's hard to pick out um, just a couple. So thank you, everyone, for for, for getting in touch. I really, based on quality reading, I've got to be honest. I quite like Dave Morgan's 90 this season, as in 90 points against Saints. I think that's a nice reminder for uh, for that lot down the road. Uh, Upset, now, now that upsets me, though, because we didn't get 100. You can't be you can't be upset about ninety points against that lot, can you? I've got high standards, Elliot. Come on, it's deeply distressing that we didn't get a hundred <laughs> aggregate hundred aggregate points against Northampton. One day, next year's target, perhaps. Uh, very yeah, good. Definitely. SP Keen got in touch to say it's Burns' night. Very good. It was a fantastic performance by Freddie Burns. The fireworks at the end. It felt like a celebration. It felt like Burns' night. So excellent to see. Yeah, definitely. And linked into that, Glenn Coleman put Freddie Burns show. And I think that's a fair a fair analysis of uh, his great evening. Yeah, it was a great evening. But again, like I say, on a second watch, Montoya was the man of the match. Like, there's yeah, no true. doubt about it. Freddie Burns, nine, nine and a half out of ten. But I'll tell you, Montoya, 9.9 out of ten. You could barely fault him. It's fantastic. Uh, and on that note, John Whiffin got in touch to say, quite bluntly, actually, I think he, I like to imagine that he's saying this quite aggressively. He says, Bontoja contract now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know yes. why it sort of like gave him a whiff of a cockney accent there, but that's what I like to imagine how he said it. Montoja contract now. Get in um, that fucking contract, mate. Yeah, get a fucking contract in front of him. But uh, you know what I mean? Because he is, uh, as I said, whatever he wants, pay him, make him the marquee player. Oh, well, shit. I mean, Pollard might be the marquee player. Don't care. Flog the rest of the squad off, sell them off. Doesn't matter. Make Montoja stay. Pay him what he wants. I think he's been absolutely critical. Yes, Mont- contract for life. I think is the um, thing, or just kidnap. You know, just just don't let him ever leave. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, that would be. I think as a priority for next season, that has to be get the earliest bit of business done is to get Montoya signed up for a significant amount of time. I think we used planes as the means of transport last week, but let, let's use boats this time. So ahoy there, set sail, raise the anchor and join us on the rough seas. 
as we try and uncover the number two shirt for Elliot's Imports. Is shall we stick with that, or did you did you have a preferred name? It's your your thing. Yeah, that's no Imports or the Foreign Legion. One of the two. Okay, the Foreign Legion. No, let, I like Elliot. I think it's got to have your name on it. Elliot's Imports. Yeah, Elliot's Imports. Then yeah, we'll call it Elliot's Imports. And we had a no vote round for the number one shirt because it was pointless. People said, oh, yeah, you know, you didn't mention Stankovic. And, yeah, I suppose fair point, but there was no point in mentioning anyone else, really. It was always going to be Ayatza. And plus <laughs> plus Stankovic is already in the cult corner at 15, isn't he? So we, we don't – he doesn't need to be mentioned twice. Let's move on to Kavo. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's coming down to two. And I think our comment about it can be current players is particularly relevant here, isn't it? Yeah, I mean – it's not quite a walk-in like last week, but it's not far off, I have to be honest. Um, overwhelmingly, the, the sort of the choice is behind one man, and that man is the king of Argentina. And the emperor. The he looks like a Roman emperor, doesn't he? You know, he's got like the short curly hair. If you put him in a yeah. toga, he looks like an emperor. He is the king of Saffron Lane himself. It is Julian Montoya. Um and to be fair, after Friday night, it's hard to disagree <laughs> with it in all fairness. But like being ge- genuinely and objective, we, we have just mentioned this already. He is world-class and he is quite clearly at the be- peak of his powers. We've only seen him for 12 months. And in that time, he's already lit the world alight. 12 in tries in 13 shirt. premiership games. Staggering. Absolutely staggering. And if even if even if he scored no tries, you'd probably still say he's, a, he's an unbelievable yeah. player because of his all-round game. So it is very, very hard to sort of look around other than Montoya. However, there is a couple of other suggestions. Uh, Benjamin no, Kayser? Yeah, Benjamin Kayser, I think, is a genuine shot. Like, he's a big underdog and he was yes. in the cult corner. But I've seen a few people put him forward and say, no, you know, Montoya is you know excellent, but... Kayser was fantastic. And look at the great player. Look at the fantastic pundit he's become as well. He's and we a genuine probably, shot. And we may have made a mistake in hindsight putting him into the cult corner. Maybe there is an argument he was too good and too big time. Um, for that, I still stand by our decision. Your decision. Um, ours. Our podcast. But... <laughs> Stop dragging me into your mistakes. Stop shocking me under the bus. That's outrageous. It's every man for himself on this podcast, mate. <laughs> oh, quite clearly. Quite clearly. The um, but yeah, like at the end of the day, Kayser is, is is a top, top player. And and in, in all fairness, I think if it wasn't for the current player rule, I think Kayser would probably be in with a sniff of um mm. of winning this because he was such a such a good player and developed into an even better one. I think I think he probably admits himself that his two years at Tigers probably um, set him on the path to, to such a quality career that he, that he had. There is a couple of other names that we mentioned. I think there's, um, you know, we didn't see the best of him, but I think he had his moments with Pelotonau, um, that came, to Lupe Pelotonau that came from Australia. In all seriousness, those first six months from when he joined under Fat O'Connor, where, you know, him and Tom Young's basically had a roll-on, roll-off um, arrangement where one would play 60 minutes, the other would come on for 20, then the next week the other one would start and vice versa. I think in those sort of six months, we really saw a quality player in Pelota now and he really put a shift in. We saw um, what a quality player he is. It's just a shame that 
in the circus that we turned ourselves into in the following two years, we never really saw um, the best of him. I think he probably got a bit sick and tired of the shambles he was having to um, put up with and that was going on. Well, it was a shambles he occasionally contributed to. His line-out throwing was fucking outrageously bad at times. Well, I do. Uh, well, he was part. He was part of a stable of hookers who, at that time, were just could not hit a dart to save their life. Well, I also think uh, the coaching they were getting from. Um, oh yeah, uh, I think across the board. I think <laughs> I think the, the the line out as a unit was a was an appalling mess. Mm. Uh, but we turned. Yes, it was a great. There was a nice moment in that 2018-19 season where he made a lovely break and showed an unbelievable set of wheels on him for for. Yeah, I remember. And set up, I think, Jonah Jonah Holmes in the corner off the back of it. So, we again, even in that second season, we saw glimpses of what he... Um, I, what he he's a great a player. For, yeah. I and a good, a good bloke really... as well, by all accounts. Really good bloke, by all accounts. And So, I basically scoured the internet for some pretty obscure imports. Again, as a reminder, we're looking for guys off the island of Great Britain, because it's the Elliot's imports. And... Uh, I, I was drawn again to eight prime Talcafa, who was a uh, hard as nails Tongan hooker who we signed in 2004. Didn't do a huge amount whilst he was here, apart from sort of blow some people apart. But we basically signed him because Jono, you know, in his pomp of power, saw him play a game and thought, that guy's nails, let's sign him. And he was quite a fun little <laughs> nuggety player to have uh, off the bench. I don't think he, he quite sort of turned into the world beater we hoped he might be, but that was quite a fun little blast from the past. And of course, pre professors Eddie Jones rocked out for us. You've got to remember that. Whatever came of him. Yeah, I don't know. don't know. There's there's a guy who never filled his potential. But look, I think in all honesty, are we going to put Polotinau in there or are we going to just keep it between Montoya and Kayser? I think Polotinau goes into the vote by suspect the vote should possibly be concentrated between the other two. But I think I think to give it a fair, a fair shot, and for that six month first that first six months alone. We'll put Polossa now into the mix and uh, let's see how it uh, unfolds. But I certainly think, I know who my money is going to go on in this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Pretty safe bet, I think. Uh, all right. Well, look out for it this week. Elliot will put something up on the Rolling Mall Twitter handle. It'll be uh, three potential options. Kayser, Montoja and Polossa now. Vote for your favourite overseas hooker. We will announce it next week. And we will also discuss tight end props. Okay, well, time to put a plug in it. It's bath time, Saturday, three o'clock, at the wreck, away from home. Let's take our clothes off, Elliot, and dunk ourselves into the combined tub of rugby analysis. What do you say? Wow. Wow. You didn't think of that one, didn't you? No, I haven't. That does rolled worryingly easily off the tongue. Are you one of those guys who will wear a bathing costume. I should say, yeah, most of the time I would wear a bathing costume. I'm not going to any public swimming baths without a bathing costume. No, costume, wear trunks. What am I on about? Let's shut up. Let's talk about rugby. <laughs> <laughs> that went no, down a weird rabbit hole. That's an avenue I was not expecting. But uh, <laughs> let's, let's let's put that one back on track. But yeah, it's, it's a um, it's another derby, and it's a derby, another rivalry really, isn't it? The old another, enemy. Yeah, the old enemy, exactly. The traditional powerhouses and... You know, they're going through a 2019-2020 vintage Leicester Tigers at the moment, aren't they? So I know some people be reveling in their failures. I'm 
a little bit wary of it because obviously it's not too different to where we were a few seasons ago. You and I chatted about this before recording the podcast. We have different different ideas on what this fixture means for us now, don't we? I'm a little bit wary of it and you're a bit more confident. Yeah, I mean, you should always respect your opponents and there's certainly scope for banana skin there. But for me, Buff this year, more often than not, if you take their sort of base level performance, which you see time and time again, are crap. You know, they're worse <laughs> than what... Um, I personally think they're, they're in a worse shape than what we were at the depths of an Orvana deer because they are just all aspects of their game is just so off the pace and they're just their fitness is bad, they're so disjointed, their mall defense is appalling, fitness that looks really dodgy, attacking, they've got no st- shape, they've got no structure, got no patience. Defensively, they're just weak. You know, all aspects of their game are very, very poor, in my opinion, and in not good shape. And I think fundamentally, Tigers this year are in more ch- in charge of their own destiny than maybe they actually realise themselves. And I think if Tigers play for 80 minutes at 80% of what they're capable of, they should win more games of rugby or they should win the majority of games of rugby that they play because their performance levels that Tigers have produced this season are so, so good that even if you just hit 80%, there's more than enough there to get yourself over the line. And a game against... Um, Bath, you don't, it's not one where you have to be disrespectful and say, oh, you can only be at 56%. I'm not saying that, but if Tigers concentrate on what they do and what they can cap- be capable of, they should win that game. And I mentioned that before the Saints game, the three things that I would look at is intensity, accuracy, and discipline. And if Tigers are on the ball on all three of those things, they should win this game and in theory, win it quite comfortably because this isn't a good Bath side. And in the same way that when we played Worcester, we dispatched them. I know we had a bit of a shaky last 20, last 30, whatever, but for 50, 60 minutes, we were pretty dominant and there was only going to be one winner. And I think you've got to do exactly the same attitude where if you're high intensity for 80 minutes, if you're accurate for 80 minutes and you're well-disciplined for 80 minutes, there is that alone should get you home and dry. So it's a tough place to go. I know the wreck, but there's not, there's not a lot there from Bath where you go, you know what? More often than not, They've been dog shit. I can't retain that level of confidence, mainly because I was there when we lost 45-0. And I was at that game (laughs) with my mate who supports Bath. And it was a diabolical game to watch. Did get some laughs. I remember when George Ford, who was playing for Bath at the time, knocked the ball on when we were about 40 points down. And I stood up because that was the best thing that had happened for us all game. And I cheered like we'd scored a try. Uh, (laughs) And I got a few sympathetic laughs for that. But... I think that Bath, I, I, so I do agree with that. The, what, the, all what you said is we should win. And if we do what we're capable of, we will win. I've got no doubt about that whatsoever. But there's just been a recent little uptick in form by them. Obviously, we saw them beat Harlequins the other day. I mean, uh, you put an asterisk next to that because Harlequins are without, they're so reliant, aren't they, on Smith and Dombrant and they've got some injuries as well. So, yeah, but they still have a decent team out and, you know, Bath beat them pretty comfortably, I thought, actually, in the end. And then Wasps are an informed side at the moment, and they went to Coventry, and the scoreline says 41-24. But I think Bath were winning just about with about 11 minutes to go. And then they ha- they'd had Rocco Daguni sent off for a high shot. And so they were down to 14 men, and eventually they sort of folded. 
and the floodgates opened a bit. But that shouldn't that scoreline shouldn't let you think that they were just getting pumped again. They were looking good. They were looking dangerous, and they've almost kind of got a bit of you know fuck it about them now, which is pretty dangerous to be frank. Because they've still got some very good runners. I mean, Will Muir, um, you've got a, a Jomo. I think Bailey will probably be starting as well for them. He's a talented player and Jonathan Joseph is his class, as we know. I do think that, again, we say it a lot for most teams, we can bully the shit out of them, though, because I don't think their type five are up for it. Falatau's come back and he looked quite good, I thought, again. But he does sometimes flatter to deceive for Bath, but he'll be hungry trying to make a point, I think, and maybe even force his way back into the Six Nations squad um, ahead of the England game. So he'll probably be wanting to use this as a little bit of a springboard, perhaps, for that. So we've got to be wary of him. But, you know, I do sort of look at that uh, that's, that type five. And, I mean, a lot of these names, you, you end up kind of going, who? Or just raising an eyebrow, saying that you don't rate them particularly. You've got uh, Morozov, Dutois, Ray, that's the front row, Darcy Ray. And you've got McAnally. Now, he's, he's good, to be fair. Uh, and Richards, who's a young lad, but still quite callow. That is a type five where if we put out Whitcomb, Montoya, Cole, or even Hayes, and then Wells, Green, or even Steinman, or even uh, Martin in that second row, whoever, you know, pick one, we should be monstering them. And if we put the pack, puts it together like they did in that first half, particularly that sort of golden 20 minutes against Northampton, I agree we should do. But if we are not on it, I am a little bit wary of it because I think that Bath will come to play and they will chuck it about. And guys like Jomo's in really nice form at the moment, actually. He's a big part of the reason why they've looked a bit better. But we've got to get on top of them early and sap any hope out of them early doors. Yeah, I get that. And I think similar to, I think we've got to look at this in the same way we did Worcester and Northampton, where you've got to tap them in the pack and you've really just got to bully them up front and monster them with your forwards. And from there, that gives you your territory, your possession, and that gives you control of the game. And I think if Tigers can do that and they can get that front foot ascendancy in the forwards, I think with someone like Freddie Burns, you can give him a platform to, to you know, to bring his back line into play and, and, to, and to get the game going how we want to. So I understand, you know, we have got to be wary of Bath, but I think it comes down to the forwards and I would back our pack so often against so many teams. But if, if that pack does what it should do, you know, it will give us every chance of, of getting the win. And, you know, as much as they did play well against Wasps and as much as they did play well um, against Quinns, in the middle of that, they got monsters <laughs> by Saris. Yeah, I was waiting for you to point to that one because obviously out of the two sides, Harlequins and Wasp perhaps play in a similar way we play much more similarly to Saracens. And I think, yeah, that is the model we'll need to use. And obviously Saracens absolutely obliterated them at their place. And I think it was the record defeat before Leinster came along and smashed it further. And Gloucester did something similar as well. And their pack is back in business now. So that is the blueprint. The blueprint is to bully the living shit out of them. And we've got to do that. We've got to be aggressive. It's not a game as far as I'm concerned. I don't think any game really is in the Premiership these days. It's not a game to rest players necessarily. Might be a game to do a little bit of rotation. Maybe Snowman comes in. Maybe Hayes starts, as we mentioned, just to give Coley a bit of a rest. JVP, perhaps give him a start as well at at nine. Rotating in Scott, potentially even Ashton getting a start as well. But what I mean is no wholesale changes of we can give everyone a rest. 
I still think you need to keep your core of big players in, like like Montoya, like Visa, Liebenberg as he finds his fitness, guys who are going to give us the game line. And I think we'd really need that. Yeah, I would. I was thinking about it earlier. I would play Hayes, and I'd make very subtle changes. I, I think a game like that is one for Ashton to start. I think that would be a nice uh, entry point for him to get yeah. into the starting fifteen with Nemani on the other wing. I would probably keep the back line as it is. Maybe JVP to start, and maybe Matt Scott to start. But otherwise, Ashton is the only one obvious one I'd definitely look to bring in to start. In the pack, um, again, I wouldn't make too many changes. Snyman, maybe. Hayes in the front row. I might be tempted to go Charlie Clare to start with. Just with, I'm mindful of the fact we've played Saris in a couple of weeks and we've also got Gloucester um, next week as well, which are massive games for us. Yeah, I think this game would be an opportunity if you wanted to have Montoya on the bench or start with Claire and have Dolly on the bench and hold Montoya back for those two games. But that, I, again, I'm, I'm speculating and I would probably I'd prefer to keep Montoya, obviously, but this is the game if you wanted to make that change. I think you could get away with it because Charlie Clare is physical enough in his um, scrummaging and his ball carrying and his defensive work that he wouldn't. Ha- it wouldn't be too much of a a drop off. Not um, England search. international Nick Dolly. I I can see the logic in starting Clare. I would probably though, if I was going to give Montoya a rest, I'd probably start Dolly. I think that he's, you know, we haven't seen a huge amount of him over recent weeks. Uh, he's a great player. He hasn't had a huge amount of game time and he's an England international for fuck's sake, you know, and against Bath where we should be strong enough up front anyway, I'd be tempted to start with him, but then have Julian on the bench as a bit of a safety blanket. And I think that's what I'll do. I mean, it'll be interesting to see who Bath managed to put together in their back three as well, because I know they've had some horrible injuries uh, and they've obviously got Rocco Duguni now has been red carded, so he won't be available either. So it's going to be interesting to see a lot. I mean, their front three and their back three are pretty decimated now, as it stands. And yeah, they've definitely. had some horrible luck with injuries. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, it, we, we say it so often about our fitness work, but, you know, with 60 minutes gone, the ben- if you look at the 23 Tigers put out against Saints, I thought it was a really well-balanced 23. And I thought for the first time in a while, it was a 23 that felt right and it looked right. And there was options across the pitch and people are, in their natural positions and not covering in places they shouldn't be. And I, I think it allowed Tigers to play for 80 minutes against Saints. If you go with a similar sort of team selection again, I think you've got, again, you have the possibility for a full 80-minute performance with the bench coming off and really adding that energy. Certainly look at someone like George Martin, for example. You know, he brought such energy with him that it could really add something to, to Tigers and allow there not to be a drop-off. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited by it because... It should be a terrific game. Uh, I just hope that Tigers prep well and, and turn up. And, you know, we've seen from the two games that they've lost so far, Tigers didn't turn up and they got punished for it. You know, if, if Tigers turn up and do what they should do, I think they should um, they should get the win. There's a good opportunity to, to chalk up some more points, certainly including, I think there's a bonus point on the table if they, um, if they, if they play well enough. Prediction? Tigers by 15. Oof. Okay, I'll go Tigers by 10. I think it, it'll be, potentially be a little bit of an imperfect performance. I think Bath might have their tails up, but we should get another win. That would be three on the bounce. 
you were doing a little bit of maths about how you how many more wins you think we need. I mean, I think we're so far ahead now as far as the playoffs go. I mean, let me just have a quick look from uh, first to fifth. From first to fifth, so we've we've got sixty one points, and Wasps currently a fifth with forty two points. Hell of a resurgence by them, to be fair. And London Irish on the charge as well. They absolutely spanked Bristol. And they've got 40 points. Quite clustered, actually, between fifth, well, between fourth, Harlequins in fourth with 43, and Sale, who are also on the charge with 39. It's quite clustered. But effectively, between fifth place, then we have got a gap of 19 points. That's going to take some overhauling. Um, Yeah. So Totally. The gap between third place with the home semi-final, though, which is, again, critical, is not much smaller in that it's 14 points. How many more yes. wins do you think then we need? I'm working on the basis if you get two more wins in the league, I think that guarantees us top four. It might not mathematically, but I think it was near as damn it on the top four. Yeah. I'm looking at the table. For me, Bristol's uh, last uh, Friday night defeat has ruled them out of the top four. I think they're now gone. Yeah. So I think it comes, it's sail upwards. So sail on 39 and all the way up to us on 61. So it's one of those nine, I think, you know, are going to win it this year. I look at it and I think if you can get two more wins, that puts us on 71 points. I think that's there or thereabouts with 17 games gone. So seven left, 70 points. That should get you enough into the top four. For top three, I probably think you need four wins because that gets you in around the late 70s, uh, yeah. early 80s. I personally think you're also going to remember is with Sale on a bit of a charge, Irish are looking dangerous. Northampton have gone and bounced back. Exeter, you know, Wasp have been on the charge as well. Everyone's going to beat everyone, I think. So you're going to see a lot of, I think you're going to see a lot of scrambling where if we're consistent and we just keep, <laughs> keep doing what we've been doing, we actually take ourselves out of all of this mix. Because we're just doing because everyone else I think will beat Sarah to be will like us and I think us and Sarah I think will bumble along at the top, but from Gloucester down to Sale I think that group in there I think will beat everyone else. So actually we probably need less points for top four. We probably need less points for top two because of that. So I'd be looking for me it's four more wins for top two and two for top four. But it's certainly exciting if we can. A good thing is we've we've nicked. So many bonus points along the way, both in defeat and in attack. That's all. It's it's almost like a couple of victories in itself. Yeah, but it's helped with the uh, the buffer. And again, we play Gloucester next week. So again, if you, that's an opportunity to put a bit of distance between us. We've got Saris the week after. We've got Irish coming up um, pretty soon as well. So in the next sort of three or four weeks, there's a real opportunity for us to sort of real take a team, take ourselves out of the sort of the mix. But it's certainly exciting. And I think we're in a great position to um, to take advantage of it because it's going to be a real bun fight lower down. Absolutely. Absolutely. One game at a time, though, starts with Bath at the record Saturday. Forgot to say, Danger Man, of course, for them. Guy who's looking resurgent, Nathan Hughes at number eight. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Heard a, heard a rumour that I may or may not have shared with you about why he left Bristol so quickly. It's a rumour that I've then had confirmed from three different completely unrelated sources with good links to Bristol Rugby that I can't repeat the rumour 
uh, due to fear of probably legal action on the podcast. But I told my dad, and apparently he was blabbing it out on the terrace. So if you were near, sort of, if you were on the Crumby Terrace towards the old Alliance and Leicester stand, I don't know what it's called now, uh, then you, you may have been hearing him blab that about a bit. But yeah, fairly, fairly uh, <laughs> revealing insight into uh, the culture at Bristol. But we'll uh, say no more about it until uh, until it gets published by paper, perhaps. Yeah. It'll- Order us to see in the bar afterwards at Tigers and we'll probably tell you. Buy yeah, us enough Guinness, we'll tell you. Yeah, buy us enough Guinness, we'll say anything. But you didn't hear it from us. Yeah, not at all. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Elliot, I don't think we've got too much to moan about. I mean, we've been arguing with people slacking off Ben Young's most of this week, but I don't have the energy to do it anymore, to be honest. No, I, I, I'm all peace and love this week. Peace and love. Yeah. Wait till you have a kid. That goes out the window, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, look, everyone, have a great week. Thank you very much for listening. Again, please re- uh, leave us a review and subscribe if you have time. Otherwise, we will see you next Monday. Uh, we'll record at the normal time. Go well on Saturday, boys, and stay safe this week, everyone. Cheers, guys.